So we've been looking at this series all this year of Be the Church. Presently, we're in the part of Be Courageous Church, where we're going through the book of Acts. There's an old song that some of you probably have heard in your lifetime. It goes like this. I am resolved no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delight. Things that are higher, things that are nobler, these have allured my sight. I will hasten to him, hasten so glad and free. Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to thee. Unfortunately, today, I'm not sure that's the song that Christians really sing so much anymore, but rather it's more like, I am resolved to continue to linger, to follow the world's delight. Things that are lower, things that are earthly, these I've chased with all my might. I will hasten to them, hasten so glad and free. All the world's pleasures, oh, let them come to me. Praise God, that's not the song that Paul would have sung. And Paul had an unshakable resolve. He had an unshakable resolve to follow Jesus, to obey Jesus, and to serve Jesus. And beloved, as disciples, so must we have that same unshakable resolve. Amen? So we're going to look at Acts chapter 21 this morning, verses 1 through 16. Appreciate Pastor Joe preaching last week. Angie and I were coming back from Pennsylvania where we'd taken Lydia back to school. And uh, we were coming back and we got to listen to Joe uh, on the way back. And so appreciate uh, uh, his uh, leading through chapter 20 last week. And we're going to look at a little of those verses from last week as well. But for now, we're going to do 21 verses 1 through 16. And if you're able, in honor and reverence to the Word of God, if you'd please stand as I read this for us today. Chapter 21, starting verse 1. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kaz, and the next day to Rhodes. And from there to Patera, and having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went abroad and set sail. When we had come inside of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. And for there the ship was to unload its cargo And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed, and we went on our journey, and they all with wives and children accompanied us until we were outside the city, and kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. And then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. And when we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Potomac, and we greeted the brothers who stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed, came to Caesarea. We entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. And while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own feet and hands, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and delivered him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. They, then Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart, for I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. And after these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Anason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Let's pray together. Father, how we thank you for the reading of your word. Lord, it it speaks to us. And we thank you, your spirit speaks through it to us. And I pray that you would have your way in our lives, Lord, that we would recognize your presence among us and in us and through us. 
And I pray, Lord, that we walk away challenged by you today to be the people you have called us to be as your disciples. For those who may not know you, may this be the hour of salvation. For those of us who do know you, Lord, I pray that it's a time where we recognize what you have done for us and that it spurs us on. I pray, Father, also that you take this, this time together and use me as your instrument. I pray, Father, that you'd help me to preach the word as you have laid out for me. Lord, I cannot do this by myself. I cannot and I do not want to do it by myself. But I pray that you would speak through me and use me as your, your instrument and your vessel. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart, would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. Well, as we think about the last week's chapter, chapter 20, there in verse 22, we recognize that Paul was led by the Spirit up to Jerusalem, it tells us. And so he set his sights then on going to Jerusalem. And so as the Spirit was leading Paul to Jerusalem, therefore Paul had knew that there was work that needed to be done for the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul felt like he had to point people to Jesus, that there were fellow believers that needed to be encouraged. And so he had this unshakable resolve to follow the Lord, to obey the Lord, and to serve the Lord Jesus. But also, I want us to see that he faced some struggles. Now, I, don't, I know that I don't need to tell you guys about what it is to face struggles. Everybody in here faces struggles. As a matter of fact, there seems to be waves and seasons of struggles. Can I get a witness right there? I mean, there are times when it just seems like there is one thing right after another. Right now, that seems to be what's going on with the Anthony household. I mean, we've got uh, two vehicles that are not working exactly like they're supposed to. And then you've got different things that are broken, like an oven that's broken and these kinds of things. All these different things are happening. Even yesterday, but God protected me, I ran over a yellow jacket's nest in my yard, you know, with the lawnmower. I'm thinking, Lord, you have just protected me today. So thank you for that. I mean, it just seems like there's always something. And then at the 930 hour, just so you know, at the 930 hour, I got up to preach and I opened up my iPad and it was completely dark. It would not turn on. And so fortunately, I put it on my phone. So I walked down and got my phone, which was going to make for an interesting message. And I handed it and Tristan came down. I gave him my iPad and he took it out and laid hands on it and then brought it back to me. <laughs> now, that's not to give you permission to get him to fix all your mechanical stuff. All right. But whatever he did, it worked. Praise God. And so I was able to finish. But it just seems like there's always struggles, right, that you go through. And so as we come to this passage of scripture, we see that Paul is dealing with some struggles that, that we may resonate with as well. And there's three of those things, three struggles. And then there's a second point here in a few minutes that it'll be three to that. Now, I heard Joe's six point sermon, so I didn't want to give you a six point sermon. So I gave you a two point sermon with three sub points under each one. All right. And so here's the first one. The struggles is the, is the point. The first sub point is separation was felt. Separation was felt. Now, Paul felt a real separation as he left the church at Ephesus there. We saw that back. And let's just go back a couple of verses, the end of chapter 20, verses 36 through 38. And when it says, when he had said these things, Paul had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. And so there was a separation that was really felt by Paul with these fellow disciples, these fellow believers. And then also we see it again uh, here in uh, verse five and six of chapter 21, when he is leaving Tyre, the disciples there at Tyre. 
as they departed from one another in verses five and six says that when our days, when our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey and they all with wives and children, they accompanied us until we were outside the city and kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. And then we went on board the ship and they returned home. Man, as you look and see what's happening here as they kneel together, as they pray together, they weep with each other, they bid each other farewell. Man, it is a, man it's a beautiful scene, isn't it, when you see that? And, and you know, really, all of us have, have dealt with that some, in some way, in some, some fashion. I know personally, I've experienced some of that in times of ministry when God would call us to a different place and it came to that point where we had to say goodbye to folks. I mean, there is weeping and there is praying over one another and, and bidding each other farewell probably be able to see each other again, but you never know because of how some people will, may pass away or what have you. And so it's hard. And anytime, and you know that anytime that you've had to leave friends, that that is a struggle. And especially if those friends are believers, if there's been a business move that's moved you from point A to point B, or you know, if you're in the military, uh, how sometimes you develop those relationships in a church and with believers, and it's hard when you have to go. And we know that on this end as well. We have a lot of folks in the military who come here who are here for like six months or, or possibly for three years. And no matter what it may be, when that time is gone, we rejoice that the Lord is, that is allowing you to be able to serve our military in a different place. But we ache because you're not with us anymore. And so we, you know what? The, am I right about that? Right. I mean, that's the way we feel that for each other. There's something about a bond that we share as believers that it's hard when it's time to leave. And so Paul felt that as well. He had an unshakable resolve, but he felt the struggle of separation because he loved being with God's people. We see that there even in verse four, where it tells us after they had gotten there to Tyre, where they sought out the disciples and they stayed there for one week. And so that separation, even as they left from there, it would have been hard. You know, sometimes we feel that struggle when we need to be away from our church family. Even, you know, last week as uh, we were away preaching revival down in the Charlotte County area, I told Angie, it just reminds me as, as we're here you know, in, at revival and I wasn't able to be here. I told her, I said, I am reminded how much I miss my people and love my people when I'm not there. You know, it's just something about that, having that bond. Now, there may be some who would say, well, pastor, you know, being away from God's people, that, that, that's really not a struggle for me. I mean, I, I don't mind missing church. I can just catch it online. And then I'd say, listen, friends, we need to gather together as the people of God. Because we need that fellowship and we need that, that bond of friendship that comes with being believers. I was looking at this this week in the commentary, and one of the commentators said this. I found this really enlightening and really interesting. I shared it with the staff on Tuesday. The commentator says this, that God exists in a perfect triune relationship, and we who are made by him and in his likeness are built for friendships. So think back to Genesis chapter 2. Prior to sin entering the world, when everything was perfect, God declares everything he made as being good, but he notes one exception. Adam is alone. So Tim Keller writes and says, Adam was not lonely because he was imperfect, but because he was perfect. So get this. Here's what I want you to hear. The ache for friends is the one ache 
that's not the result of sin. That God made us in such a way that we couldn't even enjoy paradise without other people, without friends, human friends. So some of you don't think it's important to gather together weekly. Or some of you may be satisfied watching online instead of being in fellowship. And you may say things like, you know what, I've got friends and I'm not experiencing the ache of not being there. And here's what I would say to you. When you are not here, we're experiencing the ache of us not being with you. Can I get a witness right there? Amen. So to be separated from fellow believers, it is hard. And so no doubt the struggle was real for Paul as separation was felt. But then there's a second struggle we see in this passage of scripture. So the separation was one. And then there's the suffering that was forthcoming. So if you look again back in chapter 20, verse 23, he knew that suffering was coming because it says that except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me, this is Paul speaking, in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. He knew that there was affliction that was coming his way. And then if you come back to this chapter in verse 10 and 11, it says that while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea coming to us. He took Paul's belt, bound his own feet and hands. And he said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now understand, Paul did not know what the suffering was going to look like but he knew that the suffering was coming. And he didn't know what that pain would be. He didn't know what the affliction would be, but he knew, and he he didn't know if it would be lashes or whips like he had endured before. Maybe it would consist of the stoning like he had to deal with or being dragged out of the city that he had to deal with. Or maybe it would be even a possible crucifixion like Jesus had endured. He didn't know, but he did know that some suffering was going to come. And so there was that uncertainty and there was that unknown and yet the confidence that it was going to be difficult and it was going to be a struggle. But Paul did know that Jesus had told his disciples that as his disciples, we would suffer. For in Matthew 10, he says, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. And so now the clear indication from the spirit and with the prophecy from Agabus, he knew that he would be bound as he is taken to Jerusalem and in Jerusalem. They knew that suffering was coming, but what kind and when, well, that would be a struggle. He just didn't know what it was going to be. So today we recognize that as we obey the Lord in this world that we're living today, if you're going to obey the Lord, if you're going to stay true to his word, if you're going to seek to point people to Jesus, it's inevitable that we may feel the suffering of being ostracized or being shunned or being protested or being rejected by people. The struggle is real. And Paul felt it there, but separation was felt. Suffering was forthcoming. And then there's a third thing that I want you to see here, that he was a struggle, even though he had an unshakable resolve. What was that struggle? And that he felt the squeeze from his friends. You know what I mean by that? He felt the pressure from his friends. The friends of Paul were putting the squeeze on him. So if you look back at verse four, it tells us there, and having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days and through the spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Now that doesn't mean that the spirit was telling Paul's friends that he should not go to Jerusalem. No, what that means is that the spirit had let them know what he was going to endure. And they themselves were telling Paul they didn't want him to go to Jerusalem. And then if you get, get back down to verse 12 and 13, 
after he's just heard from Agabus about the, what he's, how he's, the belt, he had the belt and bound his feet and hands, you know, uh, and how he's going to be delivered into the hands of the Gentiles. Verse 12 said, when we heard this, when the people were urged, there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. They're putting a squeeze on him. And then Paul answers, says, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I'm ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So Paul had an unshakable resolve to follow the Lord and to obey the Lord and to serve the Lord. He was determined to persevere no matter the cost, but there were struggles even from some of his closest friends. Even Luke is one of those people here because it tells us here, remember Luke is the one who's writing the book of Acts and it tells us there in verse 14, and since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, so Luke was one of those, even one of his close friends that was putting the pressure on Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Unfortunately, friends, this is still true in our culture. Now, hear me now. If you seek to follow Jesus, if you seek to obey Jesus, if you seek to serve Jesus, there will be times when your family and your friends will try to convince you that you should not do what you feel the Lord is leading you to do. I have heard of times when people felt called into the ministry and their family would say, wait a minute, whoa, 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 you, you feel like you're doing what? I mean, you're so smart. Why do you need to go into the ministry? There's no money in the ministry. Why are you going there? Or rather, some people would say that they feel like they need to work in, in some places in the church. Or there's a seeing that there's a need in different areas. And they say, their family and friends would say, hey, don't commit to that because it's, it's just too time consuming for you. Or there are people who say, you know what? I feel like the Lord's leading me to go to these folks that I just met uh, down at the coffee shop or down in that restaurant. I feel like the Lord wants me to go and tell them about Jesus. And their family and friends would say, hey, you better be careful. You don't know who those folks are. You don't know how they're going to react. Come on now, right? I mean, y'all, right? And then some of you may very well sense the call of God to go somewhere, to pull up roots and to move as he's leading you to go. And some of your family and friends will tell you that it's too risky. And some will tell you that it's foolish. And some will say you don't have what it takes. But unfortunately, it's likely that there will be family and friends who will, put, who will put the squeeze on you because, hear me now, because it's not in their best interest that you obey the Lord. And that's the struggle here that Paul was enduring. And that's a struggle we still endure with today. Now, friends, let me just say this today. Let's just be very honest about things, okay? We live in a time and we live in our culture and our church is not exempt from this, that we live in a culture that has lost sight of what Jesus has called his disciples to do. And what Jesus has called his disciples to do is found in Mark 8, 34, when Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. So here's what I want you to understand today. Yes, there will be struggles, beloved, but we need to be disciples who are absolutely unshake, have, an, have an unshakable resolve to follow the Lord Jesus, to obey the Lord Jesus, to serve the Lord Jesus, no matter the cost. Amen? And so these struggles were real, but Paul had this unshakable resolve. I mean, I love to see this there in verse 13, as we see that he has this unshakable resolve. 
And so here's the second point. How did he do that? So here's the solution to having the unshakable resolve. There's three things we see here, I think, that we can pull from this. So how did Paul get past the struggles and how did he maintain the unshakable resolve? Well, I can narrow it down in one word and that one word is Jesus, okay? He had an unshakable resolve because of Jesus. And so one of the first things I want you to see here is that he knew, that Paul knew, that Jesus is the source of our strength. Jesus is the source of our strength. So you see Paul and these disciples, they knew that they needed Jesus. So what do we see them doing when he separates from those disciples, when he's getting ready to go off to Jerusalem? What do we see Paul and the people doing? But we see them kneeling down on the beach and doing what? Are they collecting seashells? No, they're praying, right? We find that in, in chapter 20, verse 36, and 21 here, verse 5. You see, it's no accident that Luke includes that these people, these disciples, are praying together. Everyone knew the struggles that Paul was going to face at Jerusalem. And they also knew that prayer was calling out to the source of their strength, and his name is Jesus. Amen? They're calling out for themselves, and they're calling out for Paul. And beloved, this is what we need to be doing as well, praying one for another. We need to pray for one another. That's why it's so important, I feel, for us to be praying, especially during the service time, as to what's going on in our services for people to be praying as well. So Paul knew Jesus was the source of his strength. So Jesus is the solution to maintaining that unshakable resolve and following, obeying, and serving even in struggle. So how did, how did Paul know that Jesus was the source of his strength? Well, he knew because Jesus had transformed his life right? He had transformed his life. And he figured, Paul figured that if Jesus could save me, Jesus can do anything. Amen. He can do anything. And Jesus had also reminded Paul earlier, remember a few weeks ago in Acts chapter 18, verse 9 and 10, when Paul was in that fog of discouragement, the Lord Jesus came to him and said, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. What? For I am with you, right? Jesus is the source of our strength. And then later in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, Jesus would say to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So how did Paul maintain that unshakable resolve? Well, the same way we can, knowing Jesus and knowing that he's the source of our strength to follow him, to obey him, and to serve him. Are y'all with me this morning? Say amen. amen. All right, so here's the second thing, how we can have this unshakable resolve. Jesus is the source of our strength. And secondly, be surrendered to his call. Be surrendered to his call. As Paul feels that separation, as he is suffering, is forthcoming, and his friends are putting a squeeze on him, Paul says in verse 13, hey, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. Watch this. I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. You see, he says, I am ready. He is surrendered to the call of the Lord Jesus upon his life. He is surrendered to the call of God on him. So listen, Paul isn't concentrating on the suffering. He loves his friends. He hears their pressing worries. He feels their squeeze. But Paul is concerned with following Jesus. Paul is concerned with obeying. 
obeying Jesus. Paul is concerned with serving Jesus no matter the cost because he has been called to follow Jesus and he has been called to be a disciple of Jesus. And beloved, if you know the Lord, so have you. You've been called to follow him. You've been called to be his disciple. And so Paul is surrendered to that call of obedience. And he is surrendered because he knows that Jesus Christ is the Lord and that Jesus Christ is the king. And he would say, Paul would say, I am not my own, but I have been bought with a price. Amen. So the question is for you, how about you, friends? Are you also surrendered to God's call upon your life no matter the cost. And you know what? Let's, let's have that unshakable resolve as disciples today. Let's, as disciples, let's have that unshakable resolve and let's just get back to those old paths of just simply following Jesus and simply obeying Jesus and simply serving Jesus. For Jesus said, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. How did Paul maintain that unshakable resolve? The same way we can, knowing Jesus, who's the source of our strength, and be surrendered to his call, denying yourself, take up the cross, follow him. And then here's the third thing, which gave him that unshakable resolve is this, to stay focused on Jesus. In verses 13 and 14, we see his focus here when he said, you know, he's asking, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since Luke writes, and since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. You see, Paul kept his eyes on Jesus. He had unshakable resolve because he was constantly looking to Jesus. His focus was Jesus. His aim was pointing to Jesus. His privilege was proclaiming Jesus. His hope was being with Jesus. It was all about Jesus, not his family, not his friends, not even himself. It was all about Jesus because Jesus was his priority and Jesus was the most important. And Jesus was the greatest. And Jesus was the highest. You know, Paul didn't say, I'm ready to die because of those Romans, or I'm ready to die because of my tradition, but I'm ready to die because of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You know, as we think about that, the reality is that we have gotten to the place in our culture and we have gotten to the place in the church where we will say, I am willing to follow Jesus, I am willing to obey Jesus, I am willing to serve Jesus as long as it benefits me. I'm willing to, yes, I believe in Jesus, and I, I want to serve him, follow him, and obey him, but it needs to suit me. As long as it's convenient for me, or comfortable for me, or it's to my advantage to me. Let me just be honest with you. If that's you, that's not unshakable resolve. Nor is it even discipleship. It's self-centered, egotistical hypocrisy. That's what it is. To have unshakable resolve, friends, Paul relied on Jesus for strength. He was surrendered to the call upon his life. He knew that I am no longer my own. I belong to him. And he stayed focused on Jesus. And you think about those things. It really brings to light what he says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. 
Paul says, watch this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He had unshakable resolve. You say, well, pastor, I mean, why, why should I? Why should I surrender? Why, why should I come to Jesus for strength? I feel like I'm pretty strong. Why, why should I be surrendered to his call? Why should I even stay focused on Jesus? And let me tell you the answer to that. Here's why. Because Jesus endured the struggles for you. He went, he went through the struggles for you. On the cross, he was separated. He felt the separation from his father because of your sin that Jesus had taken upon himself and my sin. He suffered and endured the suffering of the cross. Knowing it was coming, he went through it, endured the cross for our shame. And he even felt the squeeze of his friends, didn't he? Where Peter had said, no, Jesus, never will you do this. You are not to do this. And Jesus had to rebuke him. And Jesus did all of this for us so that we could be his disciples. We could have hope, forgiveness, and assurance. So why do you want to follow him? Why do you want to obey him? Why do you want to serve him? Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. And he is our hope. And he has made the way for us. Amen? Amen. So there's one to do. And that's this. Surrender and serve Jesus. Surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. Surrender to his lordship and serve Jesus. I love verses 14 and 15 again. It says, Luke says, and since he, Paul, would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Now watch this, verse 15. And after these days, we got ready and we went up to Jerusalem. So those people who had been putting a squeeze on Paul, now they're going with him to Jerusalem. Isn't that good right there? Amen. Paul was surrendered to the Lord's will and then they were. They surrendered to the Lord's will. They went with Paul. No doubt they were an encouragement as they were fellow workers with him. So beloved, here's the question for you. Where is your place to serve? Because we need you to serve. We need each other to serve. And in Acts 9, when Jesus arrested Paul on the Damascus road, Paul asked, if you find, you find this in the New King James Version, Paul asked the question, Lord, what do you want me to do? When the Lord got a hold to Paul's life, Paul said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Beloved, are you willing to ask that question today? Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm surrendered to you. What do you want me to do? You're my Lord. And because you're my Lord, I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. Lord, what do you want me to do? So 
If that's your question, which I hope it is, there's a couple of options for you. Number one, make sure you surrender and serve Jesus. But it's possible that the Lord may be calling you to be a pastor or to be a missionary or to be a chaplain or a church planter or on a church planting team that goes out with a church planter. Are you willing to say, Lord, here I am. I surrender. I want to serve you, whatever that looks like. Or maybe it's in the church. Maybe it's not going out somewhere else. Maybe it is being here in the church. Surrender and serve Jesus in the church in, on this campus. You know, uh, we found out that it takes about 150 people, at least 150 people on any given Sunday to make things happen here on Sunday morning. 150 people, and that's baseline, okay? That's baseline. It really takes probably more than that, but that's just, that's just getting by. 150 people. I mean, you don't want to use the same 150 people all the time, right? We want everybody to be involved in that. So you notice as you came in this morning, all those tables that were set out there, right? This is a ministry fair, where, as I mentioned already, we're going to do this once a year. We'll just remind you of what ministries we have going on, as well as give you an opportunity to say, hey, sign me up, where you can find your fit and how God can use you in those places. And let's just, let's just walk through some of those real quick, can we? So let's think first off, the first impressions is a table that we have out there. Uh, I just went out there a few minutes ago and noticed that there's some Dunkin' Donuts there and, and some coffee. That's, that was a real bonus. Uh, but for our first impressions, those are the people that, that are our door greeters, the people who are on the safety team, people who are at the welcome center, because their first impressions are the most important to your first time guests. When they come in, they need to have a first-time impression that is good, you know, that, that we meet them and greet them and let them know that we care about them. But I'll say this, too. It's not only good for first-time guests, but if I'm having a rough day and had a rough week, it'd be good for my first impression when I walk in and see somebody with a smile on, too. Amen? And so you say, well, I, I, you know, I just don't know if that's for me. Well, let me just help you out with that. If everybody across the, the congregation here, if you just give me a big old cheesy grin, okay, Right, let's see, uh, 99.9%, maybe. No, really, it's about 100%. I think every one of you have got it down pat. You got what it takes to, to first impressions. Smile at people and greet them, right? You can do it. See, you got it. All right, here's the next one is a hospitality ministry. We are so grateful for the Bushes who fix our meals on Wednesday nights. We're so grateful for them. And so... There's, there's meals on Wednesday night. There's other meals and events that we have going on. It's great to have people who will say, hey, we're willing to help you on Wednesday nights to help serve. And then there's the cleanup that come after, comes after that. So the hospitality ministry, that's a table set up out there as well. And the children's ministry, there's opportunities for you to volunteer, to be a substitute teacher, to be teachers, and, and to be event and activity helpers, and to be a bus driver. These are very important things that we need volunteers to help us with. The student ministry, we need volunteers for that, and we need helpers for that, as well as breakfast preparers and bus drivers uh, for our student ministry. So we really want to see that happen. So there's a table out there for that. The young adult ministry, this is a brand new ministry here at Mount Pleasant. It's getting some traction. We praise the Lord for that. And we need some Sunday school leaders and maybe some folks who say, hey, I'm willing to host a fellowship time for our young adults. Go out to that table and sign up on that one. There's our women's ministry where there's an opportunity to prepare meals on occasion for some new moms 
or meals for people who are recovering from surgery. There's also opportunities to be a hostess for an event or be a decorator or to be a mentor. Our women's ministry, we'd love for you to sign up for that. There's another table for men's ministry where we need, we'll have work days here at the Mount and we'll have uh, men's breakfast helpers. We need people to help with the breakfast for our men's breakfast and service teams who will say, hey, we're willing to, to help outside the church building, even other people if, if need be in teaching. Men's ministry needs uh, teachers as well. Then there's our senior adult ministry. We have a group that goes out every Wednesday uh, called Barnabas, and they go out to encourage people on a visitation, some of our home uh, people who are homebound. And so it's good to have those folks who go out. They need more volunteers for that. Uh, then also for our senior adult ministry, if you'd be willing to have, say, hey, I'll be, be glad to fix an occasional meal for somebody who's sick or homebound, uh, then that's a place for you to serve there. Serving on the planning committee for our senior adults or be a bus driver for our senior adult activity. And by the way, there's some great trips going on with our senior adults as well. And so missions ministry. Maybe it's you would be a missions trip facilitator to one of our missions that we support or a missions trip participant or even a missions partner advocate. If there's a mission that God's laid on you, your heart that you could bring to Mount Pleasant, you would be that advocate for that mission as well. Or, or, and then there's another table that there's not a table out there for this called discipleship growth. And if you're interested in this, you could see myself or Pastor Joe about this. But we're always thinking about who could be some more Sunday school teachers or Wednesday night teachers or a community group leader or a community group host to help to grow the discipleship of our church. If you're interested in those, be sure to see Pastor Joe or myself. Then there's also the worship arts and technology ministry. You know, it could be singing in the choir or playing in the band or singing uh, or being, playing an instrument or uh, ha using the camera back there or um, working in the sound or pushing the button for the slides. We need people to do all those things and, and you can do it, okay? You can do it. And then the, the facility ministry, there's, there's always large projects and small projects and we need more bus drivers. Have I said that a time or two uh, about this as well? And then there's another ministry that's very, very, very dear and near to my heart, as these all are. But this one, I think, is so vitally important, too, especially for, uh, for what God is doing. And that is to be in the prayer ministry. Now, everybody in here can pray. You can talk to the Lord. And so if you'd be willing to, to be a person uh, in the prayer ministry in some way, go back there and sign up. But specifically, if you'd be willing to be on the prayer team, you can go in with somebody. You can be two or three of you in there together uh, to the prayer room. And there's a book back there on the table that if you say, I don't know if I could pray for a solid hour for the service. You can because we're going to tell you exactly what you need to be praying about and praying for during that time. But you'll find you ask anybody who's in that prayer ministry, they will tell you how blessed they are to have already been in that prayer ministry to pray during the services. And we're living in a day that if you miss your, the sermon and the, the service, you can watch it later, right? But we need people. And I say to folks all the time that when you're praying in that prayer room, you are just as active as I am in the service. We need people praying because of the spiritual battles that are taking place. There is a place. Now, surrender and serve Jesus. Now, some of these places of serving, they may need a little bit of training. And some of these places of serving, they may need background checks. But there is a place for serving for each and every one of you as a disciple. Amen? So surrender and serve Jesus in the church. But then don't think that your serving is just for in the church. But as a disciple, you also serve as the church in the world. 
right? And so that may, be, may mean you meeting your neighbors right where they are and pointing them to Jesus by taking them meals or mowing a yard or picking up trash or volunteering or coaching or serving in order that you would point people to Jesus. Listen, friends, let the world see that your king is Jesus and you're a part of the body, the church. Have an unshakable resolve to follow Jesus, to obey Jesus, to serve Jesus. You know what? Let me just tell you this. You can write this down. Life is short. Don't waste it. Life is short. Don't waste it. John Piper said, when we see Christ, we will not regret having followed him. Right? When we see him, friends, there will not be a regret that we followed him during our lives. Let me tell you one quick story and then I'll be done. Okay, I promise. You know, you may say, okay, why, why do we serve? We serve for an audience of one. There's a story I came across this week. Lou Little coached football at Georgetown University. And when he coached, he coached a young man who had an average ability. And this young man rarely got into the game. But Coach Little, he liked this little fellow. He especially was impressed how he always walked arm in arm with his dad on campus. And then a few days before one of those big games, the boy's mom called the coach to tell the coach that the boy's father had died suddenly that morning with a heart attack. Of course, as you can imagine, that young man was devastated. He was brokenhearted, but he was back at school three days later. And he went to the coach and said, Coach, will you start me in the big game this week? I think that's what my dad would have liked the most. And after a moment's hesitation, the coach said, Okay, but only for just a play or two. Well, the coach was true to his word, but he never took that fella out. For 60 action-packed minutes, that young man ran and blocked like an all-American. And after the game, the coach praised that young fella, and he said, but you've never played like that before. What got into you? And the young man said, you, you remember how my dad and I used to go arm in arm? Well, my dad was totally blind, and today was the first time he ever saw me play. That young man desired to please someone that he loved, whom he felt was watching him do what he was doing, and it made all the difference in the world. Beloved, we do what we do because we're seeking to please someone that we love who loves us already, and we know that Jesus is watching. Amen? I am resolved no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delight, things that are higher, things that are nobler. These have allured my sight. I will hasten to him, hasten so glad and free. Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to thee. Let's pray together. Oh God, I pray that you would make us to be disciples who have an unshakable resolve to follow Jesus, to obey Jesus, to serve Jesus. Lord, would you guide us in this moment to yield our very lives to you, even to say, Lord, I've not done everything I needed to do. I've said no to you at times. Lord, forgive me for that, but I want to step up. 
I want to find the fit that you have for me. I want to be on that place you want me to do. I want to do all the things you've called me to do, whatever that one thing or that two things look like, whatever it may be. Lord, I pray that you would help me to be your disciple, not only in the church, in the church, but as the church in the world. So, Father, I pray that you'd have your way with us. If there are those who need to know Jesus as Savior, this would be the hour to come and take a pastor by the hand. Or for each of us who needs to recommit our lives to you, to commit ourselves to you, saying, Lord, you have endured so much. I yield my heart to you. You enable me. You strengthen me. I surrender to you. I'm yours. I want my focus of life to be on you. Lord, have your way in all of our hearts and lives when we come to this invitation. For your glory, your honor, praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You stand as we sing together. You come, pray silently, or pray with one of us. We'll be glad to pray with you.